Welcome to the Natural Running Network. My name is Richard Diaz. What I hope to do is introduce you to some amazing athletes and luminaries from the sports science community and what has come to be expected, I'll provide some highly opinionated rants on all aspects of endurance sports and my current favorite obstacle course racing. Now sit tight, grab a cup of coffee, and let's do this. Okay, so I'm trying really hard to make sure that I get some product out there on my podcast on a regular basis. And it's been a challenge for me lately. I, I got to tell you, it's been, well, anybody who's been following my show knows that I've been putting this thing up for about five and a half, close to six years before it actually became popular to be podcaster. And uh, now everybody and their brother is doing a podcast and everybody's talking about everything and, you know, getting the scoop on some kind of thing to try to get it out there for people ahead of time and doing interviews and you don't want to do an interview with somebody that's already been interviewed five times and at the end of the day what i found and i alluded to this in the last show that we did with amir from spartan 4.0 is that the greatest results we get from this particular podcast is answering questions people love to know more about what can i do for me and in a pinch I thought, let me just shoot this out there to the cosmos, cosmos being Facebook, and uh, let's see what people want to know. And bang, sure enough, scads of questions. And because I'm a giver, I want to reward the people that throw something up there. You know, they took the time and they're helping me out. So if I can throw a little something back at them, I'm going to. So we're going to pick somebody to provide them with one of my virtual gait analysis programs. And if you're not aware of what that's all about, essentially you shoot some video, you send it to me, I critique the video, send it back to you, we get on the phone, discuss the corrections, and I try to help you with whatever issues that you're facing. Incidentally, that's 175 bucks worth of product that I'm putting out there, so yes, I'm a giver. And before we get started, I want to introduce Jennifer Herring who, full disclosure, is actually one of my clients, has been for a while, has attended multiple clinics. And I said, Jennifer, would you help me field these questions? And being the astute, organized person that she is, she said, hell yeah. So, Jennifer, say hello to people. Thanks, Richard. Um, hi, everyone. Uh, very good to join you today, Richard. So many good questions out here. I'm your average um, racer, was a terrible runner, and you've got me way into better shape with my running. So uh, very happy to join you here and, and uh, get some of these questions out from people. Well, I guess it's cool that you have been down that road and you were facing some issues and we got you into a better place. So, you know, the testament being that hopefully some of the advice I provide is going to be of value to somebody. Absolutely. I think, um, you know, that that's a great place to start, right, is injuries. When I came to you, I had a partially torn plantar fascia, was, was wearing, you know, big shoes and, and insoles and doing all this crazy stuff trying to get rid of this plantar fasciitis. And, you know, then that leads to other things like IT band issues, patellar tendonitis and all these other things. So basically, how can fixing your running form help all these different problems? All right. Well, let's start with, first of all, Greg Yoakum. And Greg Yoakum's out in Kansas City. Say, Greg, I know you probably thought I kind of dissed you a little bit in the question you sent out to me, but here you are again, so it's obviously bugging you. Let's talk about it a little bit. Greg reached out to me, full disclosure, a few days ago and said, well, my IT band is flaring up. What do I do about this? We're going to try to bundle these three, okay? So there's a few people that have the same issues, really. And there's a Daniela Aaron-Holtz, if I didn't butcher her name. She says she's got some IT problems, and then she's got some plantar fasciitis. And then there's Andrew Patterson, who came at me with this uh, patellar tendonitis and how do I fix running for him so this would help. So essentially, these three questions all relate to the way you make ground contact. This is going to seem redundant, and it is, because... A lot of these injuries that we're facing up the kinetic chain relate to initiation with poor ground contact. In essence, what they stem from is 
breaking, when you start talking to me about patellar tendonitis, that suggests that there's a very good chance that you're breaking. And breaking, what I'm suggesting is that you're sticking your foot ahead of your body when you make ground contact. And in course of doing that, you are unstable uh, because your leg is extended ahead of your body. You can't balance on it. And if you can't balance on it, it's not stable. And so this instability on ground contact with your foot directed ahead of you and this breaking action because you're moving forward and you've made contact with the earth and you have this collision essentially that is slowing you down in an unstable, unfavorable position, then pretty much everything goes out the window. So it could very well end up being patellar tendonitis. So you start to feel it like under the kneecap. So you're kind of jacking yourself up in the knee. It could be that your IT band starts to fire because as you make ground contact on this unstable pillar, I'm referring to your leg, you're going to get some internal rotation and you're essentially collapsing at the knee. Your knee is collapsing inward and you do this repetitively under this braking force and it starts to rear its ugly head. Now, a lot of times when people talk about these types of things, people will come back with the solutions that are associated with you got to get a foam roller and you got to get some body work done and all this jazz. Now, clearly these types of things will help to alleviate the pain you're experiencing in the moment, but they're not going to do anything to correct the problem that you're facing. Again, this is going to be a bit redundant because it comes down to this. You need to get your ground contact closer to your center of mass. You need to stop landing on your heel first if you're doing it. And if you're doing the polar opposite, meaning that you're landing closer to your toes, and I'm not saying forefoot, I'm saying toes, so you're like kind of like toe diving into the ground thinking that you're trying to get on your forefoot, this is also a braking action. It almost doesn't matter whether it's heel first, toes first. If you're overstriding and making ground contact, you're braking. And this leads to all these types of things we're talking about. And uh, just to kind of touch on the plantar fasciitis a little bit. So the plantar fascia, realize that you're essentially, you've got this trampoline beneath your foot. And essentially what it's designed to do is absorb the loading from the collision. It's maybe a better term. And your fascia is going to ultimately be connected to your Achilles and your Achilles ultimately connected to your calf muscles. So these prime movers, these calf muscles, are like the shock absorbers that are trying to govern your body weight as it starts to make contact with the earth. So this collision that you're having is repetitively causing stress to come up that posterior chain. And you do it over and over and over again, and next thing you know, something happens like Jennifer. She you know, ended up, how many cortisone shots was it? Oh, too many to, to admit to. Yeah. So the point being is that, you know, you go back, you start chasing the pain. You're trying to find solutions to the pain. But at the end of the day, the, the big fix is actually changing the way you move. And I actually put this in a post the other day. I think it was on Twitter. I don't know where I was putting it. But I said you need to slow down, break it down to discover what it is you're doing wrong, correct the problems that you're facing, and then build on proper mechanics and all these problems start to go away. So I know Greg, I've worked with him on a couple different occasions and I know that there was a time where he was really blowing it. He got really good at running, his times dropped, he started performing a lot better. And then I think what happens is he's just kind of got away from it. You start getting overly focused on how fast you're moving and then you start to exacerbate the mistakes that you used to make and you don't identify with the errors, you figured you got it worked out, and then lo and behold, you start hurting yourself again. So my advice to Greg is you gotta slow it down, and I think the comment I made to him is you gotta check yourself before you wreck yourself. <laughs> that's great, that's great. I mean, I, I think I've found myself a couple times in the last you know, year plus since I started training with you, getting so confident and I've got my stride right, so now I'm gonna you know, try to get faster and you know, work on other things and almost immediately within a you know a week or so I'm back to having some kind of pain that I hadn't had in months and it's and it really because you know I just stopped focusing and stopped practicing the right form I think you you can't not practice all the time you can't you really can't I mean it's like 
Everybody wants to get to this place where they don't have to think about what they're doing anymore. They want to be able to operate irresponsibly. And it just doesn't work. It's like, I've been driving a car for probably, I don't know, geez, gosh, I'm really old. So for 45 years, <laughs> for 50, I don't know, 50 years. Yeah, 45, almost 50 years. So should I just like close my eyes <laughs> and try to go down the road? I mean, right, I got right. to pay attention to what I'm doing, right? And we do. You you get to a place where, you know, you get to a place where you don't have to quite pay attention all the time and things will just come naturally to you. For example, people that run poorly, they don't give it any energy. They just run until eventually it breaks. And usually there's a, a number in volume uh, mileage wise where it starts to break down. But they, they're not really giving any thought to what they're doing. They might be talking to their friends while they're running, listening to music, and they're just their head somewhere else. And they're just colliding with the ground over and over again until eventually something bad happens and, you know, you get injured, you get, you get hurt. So you got to go back to start paying attention to the details. Incidentally, while we're talking about that, Josh Pukrit. Josh, I apologize if I'm not pronouncing your name right. And here's Josh is somebody that's actually come to one of my clinics and uh, was performing very well, came away from the clinic doing really well. And he said that he has no problem running at 180 cadence when he listens to his metronome. But as soon as he turns it off, he's instantly back to 170 strides. And on that note, there was a, Another person, uh, Molly Bond, I don't believe I know Molly, but she said... Oh, Molly's a good friend of mine. Is she? Cool. She is. Yeah. Well, and she said she noticed the same problem, that when she gets tired, she notices her cadence drops. Matt Fletcher also, um, he's, he's been to one of the clinics, right? He just chimed in recently saying it's the same thing with keeping the 180 cadence. He can do it easily on the very straight pavement or on a treadmill, but once he gets out on the trails, it's a lot harder. And I, I find the same for myself. Once I start, you know, racing and, and focusing on anything else, it's really hard to keep that 180. Well, number one, you got to get to this place where you slow down well enough to get better at it. We talked about this a moment ago. And that's the first thing you need to consider. Slow down to get it right. And start to ingrain the ability to keep that cadence. And then comes the sticky wicket. There's a thing that I've been banging the drum about for a decade. I mean, literally, it's, you know, it scares me to even think about it, but it's been 10 years that I've been selling this idea. And it's complicated for a lot of people to wrap their head around it. But I talk about motor skill drills. I talk about that incessantly. And my wife rolls her eyes at every clinic when I start to bring that up at the track I try to explain to people what I want them to do. She'll sit over my shoulder and go, they're blowing it. They're not getting it done right. You're not explaining it right. You know, and I'm like, <laughs> yeah, I wrote a book on that. And, and, and in the book, I, I apologize to people afterwards because I don't think I really was able to get the message across as clearly as necessary. And so I'm going to try it again. And it probably won't be the last time I try it. Well, I know it won't be. But for those that are listening, this is going to kind of resonate with almost all of these questions. I will take, and Jennifer, you're a witness to it. I know you are. As a matter of fact, just recently in Vermont, you participated. I had, I don't know, was it like 30, uh, 35 people on the track? Something like that? Yeah. There was, yep. So I had 35 people on the track, and there's actually video out there that, that shows it where I had Bubbles and Anthony wearing their clown masks, leading the group. So we had two, two files of people. I had them all kind of just line up, put their left hand on the person's shoulder ahead of them so they're that close together, set the metronome, and I got them all moving effectively off of their forefoot at 180 strides per minute. They started making their way around the track. I'm sure you were probably in that lineup. And Yeah, you had us, do, you had us doing that in about... Uh... 30 seconds or less. Right. So everybody heaved to. They were all able to land in their forefoot instead of heel striking and adhere to 180 strides per minute. And then I progressively caused them to speed up. The quicker they went, we started seeing a couple people fall through the cracks where as they started to go a little faster, 
They were incapable. They were all pretty much capable of staying at the stride frequency, but we started noticing people start to mitigate towards their heel, and they, they started blowing their, their contact point a little bit. So here's where I'm going with this. Motor skill development drills is the study of bringing yourself to speed minus error. Try to envision that if you were running along at a very, very easy pace and you had this metronome going off in your ear and then you adopt that frequency and then progressively try to encourage improvement in your speed without changing your cadence and without changing your contact. So in other words, you're not going to start overstriding. You're not going to put your heel out ahead of yourself. You're not going to toe dive. You're not going to twist your body in space as you're going down the road. And you're, the whole mechanism is about trying to create more speed without changing the frequency of contact. Now, if you control the frequency of contact and where the contact occurs, meaning just ahead of your center of mass, all that's left for you to be able to go faster is your length of stride needs to improve. Otherwise, you will not go faster. So you've controlled all the other elements, and you've left it to your stride length to develop speed because your frequency is not going to change. And you'll find that you'll get success with this to a point. And that point that I'm speaking of, I like to refer to as your mechanical threshold, the point in which you're incapable of running with proper mechanics any faster. And once you identify that you've got to this place in the road, you back off completely, and then you attempt it again. And then you attempt it again. And then you attempt it again. And then you're going to find within yourself a personal nuance. There's going to be this thing that you just identified that allowed you to get to greater speed without having to compromise the way you're making contact with the earth and the frequency in which you're doing it. So when you say back off, you mean back realize off. that you you just just stop, walk around a little bit, yep. gather yourself, right. start over again. Well, and what I do when I write it in program is we use a recovery heart rate. And the assumption being that you're able to control things well enough where your heart rate is going to accelerate when you start to get up to speed, and then you're going to need some recovery. And the whole rationale behind it is you're going to need to be fresh enough to produce the work again. Because if you're fatigued, it's more difficult to control all the elements. And incidentally, since I'm talking about it, it's, I think it's a good segue into the fact that I just wrote a training program for the off-season that I'm going to release here very soon. 16 weeks of running training. And the reason I stopped and introduced this was not to create an infomercial here, but those people that actually buy into this program are going to find that I've injected 20% of the total volume of training weekly is dedicated to motor skill development until we're into the program deep enough where it is no longer necessary. And believe me, if you do the right things early on, there will come a time where it's no longer necessary to pay that close attention to the way you're moving because you'll get it wired. I'm telling you, I have people that I train with every Tuesday morning I do not need to discuss the way they move. You would think that would be hard for me to do, not to be there critiquing them you know, at every step. But I'm telling you, I have people that have, have drank the Kool-Aid, gone through a process, and now are running far better than they ever had in their life. Faster and pain-free and capable of putting out almost infinite volume without having any issue whatsoever because... They essentially have mastered the way they move. And if you're curious as to what that might look like, look at VJ Jones. He just came off NORAM. And I'm going to tell you right now, for those that don't know, in the 3K event, the first day he came in second behind Ryan Atkins. The only reason he didn't beat Ryan Atkins is because when Ryan got a little bit ahead of him at the last turn, VJ didn't know how close he was to him because he was still pretty fresh. He just kind of gave it up, said, well, I got second. 
If he had known how close Ryan was ahead of him, he could have passed him and he could have won that race. He lost by 15 seconds to Ryan Atkins. Oh, wow. That's and, a heartbreaker. Well, you know what? He chalked it up as he knows that there was a moment that he could have taken down Ryan Atkins in that race. And I know that to be true. I watched the race and I even commented it to him. I said, dude, he comes tumbling across the finish line in anguish, staying away from you. You come across the line, pat him on the back, and walk away. I said, you left something off the table. <laughs> what happened here? He goes, dude. Yeah, he, absolutely. He goes, you know what? He goes, I know I had more in the tank, and I just did not know that he was that close to me. Otherwise, I would have taken him out. So anyway, that's another another point altogether. But what I'm trying to get at is VJ is one of my Tuesday morning guys. And I got a couple other people that, that train with me, and they are killing it. They're starting to show up on podium. And these were typical age groupers that were you know, not really doing anything significant. They're kicking ass right now. And they're having a lot of fun with it. So I attribute most of what their success is to the fact that they have identified with motor skill development drills and understand that that is essentially the catalyst to get to speed. All right, so let's, let's talk about somebody who actually uh, is killing it in the age group right now. Um, a friend of mine, Ashley Higgins, yep. up here in uh, New Jersey. She took um, first place in, in uh, her age group this past weekend in the Barry Mass race, her first uh, podium ever. So I, I know she attended one of your clinics recently, and, and her question today is, is the great shoe debacle. So you know I love listening to you talk about the shoes, but I think she's a great example of just take a little bit of uh, – time to to put your mechanics in place and boom there you are on the podium well yeah and i worked with ashley at bone frog i remember her um just loved her she was great and uh she's asking about the shoes now i don't recall specifically what she was wearing when i met her there was a lot of stuff going on but when you start talking to me about black toenails i promise you the problem is that the the shoe is a conventional design. And I guess I'm using the term conventional because I believe that when the running shoe industry got started, they came up with this template of what a shoe should look like. And it essentially, you know, I'm trying to explain this. It's an audio. You can't really see what I'm doing here. But your toes are brought to a point right in the center of your, your foot. Does that make any sense? So your the, the toe box yeah. is drawn together right at about your second, third toe. All right? And then they put this material down around it. And every time you make contact, let's just say that you've, you've been drinking the Kool-Aid, now you're on your forefoot. Every time you land in your forefoot, your toes want to splay out, which is what is natural. And they're crowded in this, this shoe. Now they're, they're being stressed and, and or you're running into the front of the shoe because there's just no room for the toes to splay. And then the outcome is you get black toenails. You've got to find a shoe that's got a broad enough toe box that allow your feet to naturally function. By the way, I was just writing about this because as everybody's waiting for me to finish writing this damn book. And I've been working yeah, on it. Me I'm one of those people waiting. <laughs> yeah. I'm feeling Dude, I, I, you know what I'm doing right now? I'm not working on my book. And I when, see that. I yeah, see that. Yeah. So my point being is this this is how my life rolls. i got to find these little bits of time to work on it. And my head's got to be in the right space and everything. But anyway, yesterday I was, I was writing about this very thing. Since we're talking about it, I'm going to give you a little insight as to where this is going with my book. I've decided that the book needs to read like me having a conversation with you. And I'm going to take people from the very beginning, what needs to have happen, right on up through working the energy systems, uh, the mechanics of movement, how the training should look, and the whole thing. And I think the best way to do this is conversational, as opposed to trying to create all these elaborate templates and pictures and crap like that. If you just read it, matter of fact, I think the best thing is going to be an audiobook if I could just find out how to do that. But at the end of the day, just... Here's where I was going with the, the shoes. Everything that you stick on your foot is going to alter natural function. A sock will alter your natural function. It impedes to some degree 
the information highway that comes from your forefoot. You have all these mechanoreceptors in the front of your feet that are trying to communicate with your central nervous system to make decisions about what should occur when you make ground contact. What muscles, what ligaments, what tendons need to be contracted in order to develop this, this, this shock-absorbing effect. And the further away you get from the ground, the more dampening you create from this interface with the ground, the more stupid you become when you hit the ground. And I've used the analogy about, here, I'm going to punch you in the face, and then after I hit you, you duck, right? So you're reacting, but you're reacting late. The more information you can get from the ground, the more prepared you are for that contact. So we want to have a shoe that's going to provide protection to keep us from the environment, the things that can cause trouble, broken glass, you know, stone bruises and things like this. You need a certain amount of protection. But when you start to overdo it, when you start to get too far away from the ground with your shoe, you're going to get into trouble. And when we start talking about stack height, and a lot of these shoes will start espousing the fact that they are zero drop, but they're like on the third floor. Your foot is on the third floor, right? Yeah, so, so when, you're, when you're buying those shoes, what are, we, what are we looking for? What's the technology, technical term? Is that stack height? Is well, that so yeah, height? so let's talk, again, I, I, I laid this out in my book, so I'll lay it out again. Stack height refers to how far off the ground you are. The differential in stack height has to do with how far your heel is off the ground relative to your forefoot. So you might see a shoe that is represented as being zero drop, but they'll talk about the stack height being like 25 millimeters off the ground. That's talking about how far off the ground you are. So then you've got the squish factor that comes into play. If you're that far off the ground on a cushy surface, every time you hit the ground, your foot just wants to collapse in whatever direction the load is more preferentially hitting. And by the way, I saw this, I wanted to talk about this so bad. Last Sunday, I was riding my bike and I got right in the middle of the Camrio Marathon. And I got behind some people wearing hokas that were broken down. <laughs> Dude, they were broken down on the inside. So now the stack height on the outside where the guy hasn't been landing is, is fresh, it's nice and tall, but on the inside, it, it sloped downward. So you talk about this late stage pronation. Plus, they're overstriding because they don't feel the ground when they hit it. And their ankles are doubling up on the inside. They're basically no ankle. They're, they're just falling inward every step they take. And they're going to do this for 26 miles. And, wow. and plus, they're averting. So they're, they're not only just heel striking, landing on these cushions, but their toes are pointing outward when they do it. And I, I just can't even imagine... I should have stopped and just interviewed the guy to find out how many issues he's been facing while he was running. Yeah, I guarantee you his injury list is long. Oh, my God. It was terrible. It was terrible. So, But the feet feel great. Oh, man. I feel, you know, it's awesome. These things are comfortable. Everything from your ankle up is getting hammered because you don't feel what's happening to you. So... I'm going off on a rant. But anyway, going back to the stack height thing, you don't want to be too far off the ground. You don't want too much cushion underneath the foot. You need a broad toe box, and you want as little weight in the shoe as possible. And I hate doing this, but I'm kind of stuck doing it because it's it's the truth. I've been wearing Topo. You know, you know where I'm going with this, right? Yep. I've been wearing Topo, and I've been selling Topo for these people forever simply because there's a minimal amount of weight in the shoe. The, the shoe is zero drop, the ones I wear, and uh, it's got a nice broad toe box. Everything that I look for in a shoe, they're, they're making. Now, there was somebody uh, that asked about how, when, when you transition from, where's, where's it at? Did you see that question? Yeah, so Irene, Irene, who okay. um, yeah. also was over here on the West, yeah, she asked, zero drop shoes. She how goes, how do you adjust? adjust? Okay, so suggesting that, assuming that she's like, okay, I'm on a heel, and I, I get it, I need to be more close to the ground. 
what's the mechanism? How do I do I kind of like ratchet it down, you know, a millimeter at a time, two millimeters at a time? How do I do it? Um, another thing we covered in the clinic the other day was, if you recall, I got up against that fence. And essentially, again, this is an audio th thing, so it's kind of difficult to get people to appreciate what I'm trying to get across here. Try anyway. If you just simply kneel in front of a wall, put your toe, barefoot, put your toe right up against the wall, and put your knee of that same leg right up against the wall. And then your trailing leg just is going to be behind you like, like in a lunge. Okay, have your knee on the ground. Okay, now, if you can put your knee against the wall over your toe without your heel lifting, that's success. Now, if you took a piece of paper and stuck it underneath your foot and you slid your foot back, you could even measure it if you want to get real anal, but move your foot back about four inches and then try to push your knee against the wall without lifting your heel. If you have success there, you have pretty good range of motion in your Achilles and your calf. So there's a pretty good likelihood you could adapt to a big change in your drop without too much trouble. If you find your heel comes off the ground when it was against the wall or whether you're a couple inches behind, that's a pretty good indication that you might want, want to kind of be a little cool about how you make this adjustment. So maybe you only go down to a four mil drop. And that's usually where I put people. If you're having trouble and you're a little nervous about your calves, go to four for a while and see how that works out for you. And same thing holds true. You want to allow for a broad toe box. You, you want to get all the candy you can and just give yourself a little bit of latitude where the heel's concerned and you should be okay. And I'm going to kick a dead horse. I apologize, but I'm going to do it anyway. I love it. Go ahead. All right. So, and you know this to be true. The conundrum in all of this is that I will take somebody that's suffering from plantar fasciitis, Achilles tendonitis, all these issues. And when we just have, we've gone crazy trying to find different ways to approach it. I have them take their shoes off and run barefoot on grass. And they're able to do it without pain. Do you know anybody like this? Yeah, I think you might be talking to one. <laughs> so, I mean, share that. It was, it, I mean, it was instant. I came when I came into you to your first clinic. I was wearing, uh, I don't know, Brooks or something that, I, and I wasn't really even aware of the the toe drop concept, to be honest. But they felt great on my heels, right? You know, nothing hurt when I landed right on my heels because I had probably, you know, twelve or fifteen millimeters of, of cushion under there, and taking my shoes off, and that's actually how I made the transition into the zero drop shoe with, with a lot of barefoot running literally around in a small circle in my backyard for 30 minutes to an hour at a time. And, you know, then I, from, from a shoe perspective, I did a, the slower thing. I went to maybe a four millimeter and now I'm in a, a zero to two millimeter drop shoe. I'm in a topo, which, um, you know, I, I love those as well. Never so pain-free, right? Um, right. Absolutely pain-free. Absolutely pain-free. So here, I said it was a conundrum. So the conundrum is how is it, that by taking your shoes off, and clearly that's zero drop, right? Absolutely. And, and have the ability to run without any issue whatsoever, but put a shoe on with zero drop, and you find that the transition was too aggressive. And I've, I know people that have this problem. And I'm not suggesting that there's smoke and crack. I realize that there's issue at hand. And the issue, and, and I said it early, Everything you put on your foot alters your natural function, regardless of design. You're going to get alteration once you put something on your foot. And I think what happens is when you put on a shoe, it gives you a bit of creative license to make mistakes because you don't quite feel what it is you've done, especially when there's this indecision. All of a sudden, there's this, this greater amount of range to travel opposed to what you used to travel in your in your heel drop. I don't know precisely what the mechanism that caused the problem is, but I can tell you that it seems like an oxymoron to take somebody that has tight calves, have them run barefoot, and that would give them relief. But in fact, it does. Because it absolutely does. 
everything that they put on their feet has been causing them trouble. And uh, I, you know me, I've been, that's my go-to thing. When people have problems with the way they're moving, I say, look, I want you to take your shoes off, find a grassy field, make sure it's clear of any debris so you don't step on something, and work at that a little bit. Take your time and start to develop this awareness and this relationship with the earth, and you'll start noticing that the mechanics will start to come too. And then when you start to gravitate into a different shoe, you should be okay. And it works almost nine out of 10 times. Yeah, I have to agree with you. And, you know, when I was transitioning the shoes, I, I, I was still probably wearing something that just overall had too much cushion, you know, when I went to something that was not 16 millimeters or whatever I was wearing. Yeah. But as soon as I got into that, you know, very minimum cushion as well is when I hit kind of the money spot of being able to, to, to run around in my shoes I mean, you know, you saw me at the next clinic. I came back. Yeah. You had a hard time finding something negative to say. I was, I was I, really happy with myself. Yeah. <laughs> you, know, I, you know, I hate that when I can't, you know. But. I know, I know. All right, so uh, there's, another, uh, there's another guy here. Uh, Devin Brown had two questions. And um, they're interesting questions. The first one was, he's saying, running slow to build aerobic base versus running junk miles. How can I tell if I'm running enough or too much? That was the first question. And the second question was, because he's a flatlander, where he lives, there's virtually no hills, and he supplements with an incline trainer and does a lot of lunges and split leg squats and stuff like that. But he gets wrecked every time he does downhills and wants to know, you know, how do you deal with the downhills when you don't have any place to run downhill? Let's, let's deal with that first, because that's kind of cool. Okay. Yeah, the, I like that one. Yeah, the the first thing is, uh, and you know, I at, here in my lab, my treadmill will let you run downhill. I can actually create a twenty five percent grade down. Excuse me, twenty eight percent grade downhill run. And you know, I could put you in a harness, which will allow you not to go flying off the treadmill while you try to teach yourself to go faster on the downhill. Actually, there's some video floating around of me doing that with Hunter and, uh, and, uh, who was the other guy it was, uh, Chris Mendoza, uh, also a really good runner, great runner actually. But I've seen video of guys that took their treadmill and elevated the, the back end of their treadmill, put it up on blocks so that they can actually run downhill on the treadmill. Uh, I don't know, whether I could wrap my head around that or not, it seems a little edgy. The treadmill falls, you go flying. It's, I don't know, it sounds like a mess to me. But yeah, I guess, yeah, it sounds like an accident. <laughs> yeah, but the other thing you could do, and I've had guys do this with that live in Florida, getting ready for Lake Tahoe. I'd say go find a hotel that's got like 15 floors and just do some downhills. Take the elevator up and go ripping down the, the staircase, catch the elevator, go back up and do repeats like that. Uh, I don't know what else to tell you. I mean, it's it's a problem. Either that or you just got to find something somewhere that you can do some downhills on. I've, I've had the problem. I mean, I've gone, done clinics in like uh, Baton Rouge and uh, Dallas was another place we went that was real flat. And we were trying to do some hill training and there, we could not find a hill. There was literally no hills. So I understand the problem. But uh, short of trying to do something death-defying, like change the way your treadmill is set up. Uh, I guess the only thing is to find a nice tall building with a real steep staircase and have fun with that. Uh, the other question was about the aerobic base development. What I do with people is we use time trials to determine whether we're getting the effects that we hope for from the aerobic conditioning we're doing. And again, it's not specific to just aerobic conditioning leading back to the motor skill development drills, the MSD drills, along with the aerobic conditioning, are one-two punch. They lend you to see some serious improvements in the way you're training. And um, how much volume you're going to do, it's really kind of relative to the event you're preparing for. The longer the event, the more volume that you need to create for yourself. The shorter the event, the more intensity you need to have in the training. And again, just to bring it up again, I... I wrote two really amazing programs, one for advanced runners, one for beginners. And the goal is to crush about a half marathon distance in 16 weeks. 
and I can't wait for that day when everybody does that 16-week time trial I have them do. When they start doing backflips and cartwheels, just excited with themselves because they just blew their personal record out of the water following a program that works. Very excited about that. All right, so uh, I'm kind so let of... Me, let, me ask you another, let me ask you another heart rate question yep. that's in here, kind of in the same realm, because this is one of my big problems, um, is what kind of warm-up or pre-run prep can you do? Jody asks, and she says, once I'm warmed up, my heart rate is pretty controlled, but the initial one to three miles are painful, and my heart rate is out of control regardless of the lightness of the jog. And that's, that's me, too. You know, I struggle with my heart rate and, yeah. you know, spiking no matter how slow or fast I'm going. What do you, yeah. what do you tell Well, me? yeah, and it, that comes up a lot. And try to appreciate that your cardiovascular system has this malleability. You know, think about like a little plastic strip, a cold plastic strip. If you just rub it between your, your thumb and your forefinger for about two minutes, and you, the friction develops heat, and the heat starts to soften the plastic, and all of a sudden it, it, it's bendable. It starts to be more malleable. So your arterial walls and your arteries and such are kind of like that. They need to be heated up a little bit. Start running some blood through them to get them to try to open up, essentially. And you, you start to broaden the dimension of these cardiovascular pathways when you allow yourself a little bit of time. Some people have a really hard time with it. If they don't spend enough time warming up, they can't get to this comfortable place. So if you're like standing in the chute and then the gun goes off, then you go hog wild, try to get a decent pace going, you're screwed because you just overloaded. You just choked yourself. You're just not prepared for it. So I know a couple people I'm, I'm coaching right now that has that problem. And I generally have them do a, a pre-race warm-up of about 20 minutes before they go into an event. And I'm not talking about just easy jogging. I may have them do some some skill drills. I might have them punch into the motor skills a little bit. Just find peak velocity, recover. And this is kind of charging the system, so to speak. And that helps. But short of that, I don't know what else to tell you. I, it's It's a bit of a problem. I understand it. And I wish I had a cleaner answer for it than that. But I do know that those that I've worked with that experience that problem, if they take the appropriate time to prepare themselves for the event, they always have a better chance at uh, improving. Now, in your case, you know, we have some other issues at play, Jennifer. You've got that infection. And, and that infection is, until that infection goes away, you're always going to struggle with that. So uh, the, the big thing with you in your case, what I like to see you do is, as we discussed, the higher intensity, short duration interval repeats and give yourself adequate recovery in between these assaults. Just really kind of work on developing uh, the myocardium strength, get your heart pumping well, get your lungs receiving the delivery of oxygenated blood, clearing it effectively, just mudding along at sub anaerobic pace. It just starts to choke you down after a while. Eventually, this is going to go away. You're going to get stronger, and I want to believe that this is going to be a good solution for you, too. Yeah, no, I think, I mean, you know, Ron, back to some of the other people that posted questions, there was a Michael Forrest who said running life is a deviated septum, and actually, you know, not to get into my whole personal uh, issues, but that's actually part of my sinus problem and the sinus infection that I can't get rid of, and so I'm going to get it fixed, um, and I, I'm curious to see how that will um, affect my, my overall endurance, but I definitely can tell when I do exactly what you tell me to do, which is, you know, a lot of this, um, kind of motor skill development type, um, training, I feel so much better when I'm finished. Good. Yeah. Uh, and I don't know if the deviated septum, that's a problem. And he said also some hormone issues. And again, we're starting to get outside my, my scope. I don't know. I mean, I... <laughs> yeah. you, you stop at hormones, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So, uh, you know, I think we just about knocked these out. I, I should give a shout out to Patrick Mize from Texas. I remember you, Patrick. You might think I don't remember you, but I do. And it's funny because I'm going I'm to share that Jennifer says to me in a mess. Do you know this guy, Patrick Mize? He says that you said he ran like shit, don't run like Patrick uh, during a clinic. And uh, to be honest, I don't remember specifically what he was doing. 
I just remember it was ugly and we were having fun with it and telling other people at the clinic, don't run like Patrick, you'd be fine. But, <laughs> I, I feel like there's, all, there's always one that you pick on at uh, every one of our clinics. There's yeah. Somebody. What a jerk. It's always messing with people. <laughs> you know, it's, it's funny. You're the second person that said that. I think uh, Amir made that comment the other day. He says, you know, you always pick the guy that's like the weakest and you mess with him. But he also said that that I ended up helping the person and getting them fixed, and that that's usually what they didn't expect to have happen. But uh, right, I think maybe there's something to that. Remember uh, our our friend Paul Frisco from uh, Vermont last <laughs> yeah. year, which is with his arms. I, I every time I run, I and I start to think my arms are getting a little lazy. And maybe we can talk about arms for a minute and you know how yeah. that plays into things. But I always remember: do not, no Patrick, no Paul arms, no running with arms like Paul. You know, he fell off the radar too. I think I messed with him enough that he just finally said, "I'm done with this guy." He's just, yeah. You know. But yeah, he his uh, he used to swing his arms pretty aggressively across his body, and when you swing your arms across your body, your hips are going to go with your arms, and your knees are going to go where your hips go, and your feet are going to go where your knees went. And so, if your focus is to run straight down the road. But your hips and your arms and your knees and your feet are going left and right as you're going down the road. When you make contact with the earth, all bets are off. So arm swings should really be set up where you're actually swinging your arms as opposed to your shoulders. And your arms should be swinging in a pendulum fashion forward and back, not across the body. And that'll make a big difference in the way you land. All right. So enough with these questions. I think we did a good job with this. Who do you think we should award this video gate analysis to? Yeah, that's a that's a good question. Um, I'm I'm going to put my vote in for Ashley. I, she hit her first podium this past weekend, and um, you know she was only able to to come to a, a part of our clinic in Bonefrog and hasn't been able to go through the whole uh, gate analysis. I'd love to see what she could do uh, once you take a look at her gate in more detail. Well, not only that, but she she really needs to do the whole clinic thing. She you got to. Uh, grab her by the shirt and drag her out to California in January. I think that would be a great trip for her. Yeah, I think so too. I think so too. All She's right, let's let's do it. So, drum roll, Ashley, you're a winner. You'll you'll know how to get a hold of me. You'll hear this, I hope. And if you don't hear this, shame on you. We're not going to tell you. That, that, <laughs> we're going to punish you for not I paying attention. I won't tell. I won't tell. But Ashley, we're going to go ahead and uh, award you that video gate analysis. Uh, get a hold of me and private messenger, and I'll give you the details on how we get it sorted out. All right, final note, two more clinics left this year. We're going to do a clinic in Atlanta, Georgia, that's scheduled for November, damn it, I forget. It's first. I think it's first week or so, or, or maybe it's the 10th of November. Anyway, you have to look at naturalrunningcoach.net to get those details, naturalrunningcoach.net. And we are going to close registration at the end of this month. I'm going to say it again. Oh, folks got to get in on this. You got to yeah. get in on this. Yeah. Now, people want to wait to the last freaking minute. They just don't want to give up the money. They're sitting on their wallet. Can't get off of it. I'm telling you, the problem is this. I am leaving the country. I'm going on vacation, much needed. My wife wants to go. I got to take her, otherwise she'll probably divorce me. Yeah, it's probably a good idea. Work. I'm going to be out of the country. I'm going to be out of the country, and so I need to wrap up registration, not just for Atlanta, but also for Austin, Texas, which is December. Again, I think it's the eighth, December eighth. I think it is is that weekend. But if you've been sitting on your hands and yeah, I'm going to go, I'm going to go. No, you're not. If you don't register within the next little bit here, you're not going because I won't be here to take your registration. In the event that somebody has registered and they're concerned about, oh, well, what happens if he doesn't do this? I will provide them with a, a refund. Damn skippy. They'll get their money back. Like As soon as I figure out I'm not going to go for whatever reason, you get your money back. Trust me. I've done this a few times, unfortunately. And there's nobody out there wondering, where's my money? We, we take care of people. We're not in here to try to snag your cash from you. We want to put on a nice show, and we need you to register so that we can do that. Any parting statements, Jennifer? No, I think, um, you know, I'm looking at your website here. It's bookmarked on my computer. You'll be so proud. Okay. So Atlanta, November 3rd and 4th, 
right, in Austin, Texas, December 8th and 9th. People got to get on this. There you go. really made a big difference for me, and I can't wait to see you in California in uh, January. We're going to have so much fun. That is the great. That is the mother of all clinics. I'm telling you, it's the mother of all clinics. I'm going to take you to places that are so cool and so painful. It's going to be awesome. You're going to have so much fun with it. I can't wait. We'll take a little good vodka in there somewhere too, I hope. Yeah. Well, I have some. I have some amazing vodka. I know you're like, you guys got like this one trick pony thing you do, but I've got some like really, really amazing vodka I'll turn you on to. I'm up for it. We might even bust out some caviar. Are you a caviar person? Not not really, but maybe if it's good, I maybe I just don't know what good caviar tastes like. Well, maybe you haven't done it right. So what you do is you got to have, here's a caviar lesson. You got to the caviar on a Bellini, a little bit of egg white, little capers, little uh, chives, little cream fresh. And you have this chilled shot of premium vodka standing by. You toss that caviar thing down your throat and wash it down with the vodka and do it about 50 times. It's just... <laughs> <laughs> and then first first thing the next morning motor skill motor skill development drill. no first thing the next morning is mountain running followed by sand dune training followed by sugar cookie training on the beach with dips in the ocean in january oh that's gonna be great yep i can't wait all right well thank you so much jennifer for helping with this and uh we'll talk soon all right thanks for having me well, friends, it's time to bring another show to a close. Be sure and tune in to us next week. We've got a lot of great content in store for you. I want you to tell your friends to check us out. You can always find us on Facebook. Simply go search the Natural Running Network. Drop us a message. I'd love to learn more about you and the things you do. And until then, you have an amazing day.